Are you thankful for the blood this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. It's the blood that saved us. It's the blood that cleansed us. It's the blood that made it possible for us to be filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. In the blood there is divine healing. Everything that we need as a child of God comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, you could turn with me, please, this morning to the book of Job, chapter 14. Amen. Job, chapter 14. And if you're looking and wondering where the book of Job is, just go to the book of Psalms and hang a left. And you'll find Job. Amen. It's believed that Job was the very first book in the Bible to actually be written. Even before the book of Genesis. So... As we look into the book of Job this morning, just understand that we are literally reading the oldest book in the history of mankind. Job chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, the word of God says this, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. And dost thou open thine eyes upon such a one and bringest me into judgment with thee? That's Job speaking to the Lord. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. No one on earth. Amen. Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Turn from him that he may rest till he shall accomplish as a hireling his day. For there is hope of a tree. If it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. Can we read that one more time back in verse 7? For there is hope of a tree. If it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud, and bring forth boughs like a plant. Amen. And I want to use for a subject just for the next few minutes this morning, taking it from verse number 7, there is hope of a tree. This is almost, it seems like to me at least, the Lord might have a different opinion, but to me it seems like this is a part two to what the Lord led us to minister Wednesday night. There could be some of us here this morning that are facing some pretty impossible circumstances. And we're going to talk about three different specific types of circumstances that those of us here, those that may be watching, could be facing in your life even right now. But... I want to give you a word of encouragement this morning that there is still hope of a tree. No matter the circumstance, no matter how dry, no matter the desert place that you may find yourself in, if you will hold on to the nail-scarred hand of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is still hope of a tree. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. His name is above every other name, and we bow our knee before your throne this morning. Lord, as we minister your word, I do not stand here today in my own strength and my own ability, because within myself I have absolutely nothing to give to your people. Lord, we must decrease and you must increase. Lord, we ask for the anointing of the Holy Ghost to rest upon both the delivery of this word and the reception of this word, both those here in the sanctuary with us and those who are watching the live stream or who will watch at a later time. Speak words of life to their soul, no matter their circumstance, and give them hope this morning. We ask it in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. And amen. We all know the story, the setting of the book of Job, how it really opens up before the throne of God. That's where the book of Job opens. How all the sons of God, speaking of all the angelic hosts, they came to present themselves before the Lord. And the Bible said Satan also came among them. And... Job kicks off with a debate of sorts between the Lord of glory and Satan. And the Lord is the one who presents Job to the devil as an example of somebody who fears God, who is just, and who hates or eschews, the King James says, evil. It was the Lord that brought Job up as the topic of conversation. And we know what Satan said to the Lord. He said, does Job fear God for naught? He only serves you. He only loves you for all the good things that you've done for him because he's blessed. He has sons and daughters. He has much cattle and much sheep in the field. But if you were to take away everything that he has, he will curse you to your face. And the Lord knew his child, so he took Satan up on that offer. He said, you can take, you can touch everything that Job has, but the only thing that you cannot touch is his life. And we know that that Satan proceeded to take away all of Job's children. He took away all of Job's substance so that Job was literally left sitting in the ash heap with everything stripped away from him. And you could just imagine the thoughts that raced through Job's mind. I've tried to serve God. I love him. My heart is right before him. But how have I found myself in this situation? Job has come to a place where he doesn't understand what's going on. And it seems like the hand of God is entirely turned against him. But yet in the midst of his confusion and in the midst of his desperation, he clings to words of hope that we read this morning. There is yet hope of a tree. Amen. Job believes that somehow God was going to show up and turn his situation around. That no matter how hopeless, no matter how barren, no matter how disastrous his current situation looked like, that God was going to turn it all around for his good. Amen. Maybe some of us are in... A similar situation in our walk with God this morning. Maybe it seems as if 
The hand of God is against you that circumstances have just crumbled and nothing is going your way. Maybe you fit into one of the three categories that we're going to speak about for a few minutes this morning. Number one, maybe some of us are in a place in our walk with God where everything seems dry. Just a few days ago, maybe you were on the top of the mountain and everything was wonderful and the spirit of God was flowing through your heart like a river. But now this morning, or maybe for the past little while, you find yourself in a valley and the valley is dry. It seems that God is a million miles away and it seems like you can't pray. And it's been so long since you've genuinely felt the presence of God. Maybe it feels like you're just going to sit there and wither away and die. But I got a word for you this morning. The valley doesn't last forever. Hallelujah. The valley doesn't last forever. The Lord guides our life. The Lord guides our circumstances. The steps of a righteous man, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He directs his steps. And even though he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because David said, Lord, you are with me. Even in the valley, even when it seems like I can't touch heaven, even when it seems like all of hell is against me, even when it seems like God's hand itself is against me and nothing is going my way and it doesn't look like there's a way out. The valley won't last forever. I want to draw your attention to this morning to Psalm chapter 84 verses 5 through 7. If we could turn there, we'll have it up on the screen as well. Psalm chapter 84, beginning at verse 5, it says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. Now, when it talks about there, the valley of Baca, that in the Hebrew, it means the valley of weeping. Maybe you're going through a a season in your life right now, like I said, that you're going through the valley and it doesn't seem like anything's going your way and you've wept and you've cried and you don't understand. But even in the midst of the valley, these scriptures tell us that God is able to come to where you are and he's able to use the valley instead of destroying you to make you stronger. Can I emphasize that for just a moment this morning? God doesn't take us through the valley in order for our faith to be destroyed. God uses the valleys and the low places of life to get us to turn to him and trust in him when we have no other natural resources. You may be passing through the valley of Baca and you've made it a well and the rain fills the pools. Not only are you weeping in the valley, not only do you not understand, but it feels like the rain, spiritually speaking, in a negative sense, is pouring down. Like there's a dark storm cloud over your head. But I want to show you something here in this sixth verse. It says, who passing through the valley... 
He didn't say that the valley came to stay. I'm going to borrow a phrase from Pastor Lauren Larson this morning. He didn't say it came to stay. He said it came to pass. You are passing through the valley of Baca. Even though you may not understand, we have the authority and the promise of the word of God that he's not always going to lead us in the valley. He'll keep us in the valley just as long as it takes for us to learn the lesson that he's trying to teach us. Amen. You know, the greatest teacher that we have as a child of God is the valley. We're going to get into this in a few minutes, but maybe it's a valley that we've dug out for ourselves because of our own choices, our own direction that we've gone down in our own flesh. But it says, even though you're passing through the valley, it says in verse seven, they go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. That means that that's what the valley is there to accomplish in your life. I'm talking about when it's 2, 3 a.m. in the morning and, 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 and everything's just going haywire and you're trying to call on the Lord and you just can't seem to get through. The Lord allows us to go through things like that as a test of our faith to see whether we're going to quit. Again, Wednesday night part two, to see if we're going to quit or if we're going to continue to press on and seek his face and trust him even when it seems like he isn't listening. Number two, maybe some of us are in a dry and a barren place because for whatever reason, the fire that the Lord had set in your heart many years before has begun to grow dim. Maybe you've lost your passion and your zeal for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that can happen to the the best of believers. Maybe negative circumstances and personal disasters have begun to erode at your faith. Or else, maybe the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches have begun to choke the word, the influence of the word of God in your life, and you've begun to see that you're unfruitful. Maybe you long to have what you once had. Maybe you look back in your life and you realize how on fire for God that you used to be. And maybe that flame has just slowly begun to diminish. And you want that zeal and you want that fire back that you used to have. There's a promise in the word of God for you too this morning. In Isaiah chapter 44, beginning in verse 1, it says, Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou Jesrun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. And floods upon the dry ground, I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the water courses. He said, he will pour water upon him that is thirsty. Are you thirsty this morning? 
Does it seem that your spirit is dry and you just need that fresh touch of God? Or as I said, a restoration of the touch of God that you used to have. On a constant basis, he said, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty. Jesus said it in the Beatitudes. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what your circumstance is. If you will call out to him in sincere hunger and thirst after righteousness, he will pour out the living water of his spirit into your life one more time. Hallelujah. Now Job said it this way, and it's where it begins. He said, even though the tree and the stock of it dies in the earth, he said, if even at just the scent of water... And if we understand biblical symbolism, the water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's a symbol of the word of God that was given by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Job said it just the scent of water will cause you to become fruitful again. Just the tiniest little inclination of the moving of the spirit of God. But I can promise you this morning that even though Job spoke about just the scent of water, that it won't stop at just the scent. Because Jesus said, whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, hallelujah, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. It may start with just the scent of water. But before you know it, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the truth of the word of God will spring up in your heart like a veritable Niagara Falls. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It may start small, honey, but it ain't going to stay small. It might start out as showers of blessings, but pretty soon there's going to be a downpour. Pretty soon there's going to be a deluge. Hallelujah. Water springing up into everlasting life. Aren't you thankful that there is a river available to you this morning? Hallelujah. Now, number three, another class of people. And really all of these can overlap. Maybe you're like Job. And it feels like. The Lord has just lifted that hedge of protection. And he's allowed Satan to come in and and begun to begin to touch different areas of your life and to try to strip you away from everything. I want you to understand something this morning about Satan. He can never do anything to you as a child of God unless he goes through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost first. And why is that? Because you are not his property. You no longer belong to him. His power over your life was vanquished when Jesus died for you on the cross of Calvary. And the reason why Satan had to go before the Lord and to get his permission before he touched Job is because Job was a child of God. He was God's property. And maybe, can we get real this morning? Maybe the Lord has given the devil a little bit of permission 
to do some things in your life again as a test of your faith. But there's one other thing I want you to remember when Satan's coming against you and maybe the Lord's allowing it to happen. That Satan is on a leash. He doesn't just have a free pass to come in and just do anything he feels like doing. Amen. When you invite a stranger onto your property, do you let them go and rifle through your drawers and your medicine cabinets and all the bedrooms in your house? No, because it's not their property. And you only allow them to do what you say they could do. If you tell them to take their muddy shoes off at the mat before they walk on your nice hardwood floors, they take the shoes off or else they don't come in. Amen? Either that or they're going to be calling the Empire Man to come install some new carpet. But the devil can't do anything to God's got him on a leash. And God sets the limits just as he set the limits in Job's life. He said, you could touch anything about him, but you are not allowed to touch his life. And because he belonged to the Lord, Satan could not. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? He could not go against the commandment of God. Job was not his property. You are not his property. So even though the, the Lord may allow Satan to do certain particulars in order to try your faith, there is a limit, there is a bound that Satan cannot go past. So I want you to be encouraged that even though it seems like he's fighting mighty strong, remember that God has set a limit on his access. Hallelujah. Amen. But now let's flip the coin. Maybe it feels as if the hand of God is against you. It's quiet in here this morning. I must be talking to some folk. Maybe... Just like Job, he's like, if I could just run and hide from the presence of God. Cursed is the day that I was ever born, Job would say at one point. Because the hand of the Almighty was against him, he felt. But maybe in your life, maybe that's true. Maybe unlike Job, see Job hadn't done anything wrong. Job was an upright, the Lord called him a perfect, a just, an upright man, and he hated evil and he followed God with all of his heart. And yet the Lord allowed Satan to do this. But wait a minute, let's deal with another class of people. Maybe you have done something wrong. And maybe you have gotten yourself, said it a few minutes ago, into the situation that you find yourself in right now. Maybe it's a situation of your own making. Maybe you failed the Lord. Maybe he's bringing you through a season of chastisement and correction. That's a dirty word in the modern church today. That the Holy Ghost would convict the believer of sin and correct the believer for sin. You know, there's a lot of people in the modern church that don't believe that. Very prominent, as far as I can remember, Pentecostal preacher. Says the Holy Ghost doesn't convict the believer. He'll just convict him that he is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
That's not my Bible. The Bible says the Lord will correct and chasten the ones that he loves. And, the, and, and, and Paul said in the book of Hebrews, if he deals with you as sons, he said, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't faint when you're rebuked of him. If that is the case, you and the Lord know your situation. I don't know. But he said he chastens those he loves. And if he did not chasten you, if he did not correct you, strong language, but the Holy Ghost gave the language. Don't get mad at me over it. It said that you're bastards and not sons. That means you're not really his if he didn't correct you. If you feel the correcting, if you feel the chastening rod at all in your life by the hand of the Holy Ghost, that is a direct verification that you are a child of God. And because he loves you, because he wants your welfare, because he wants you to grow, and as Hebrews said, he wants the peaceable fruit of righteousness to be born about in your life. He will take you through seasons of chastening and correction. And it's difficult. I'm not going to come up here and lie to you this morning and say that it's a pleasant experience to be corrected by the Holy Ghost. It's a little uncomfortable. I'm talking about the book of Hebrews a lot this morning, but Paul said that just as natural parents would correct and and chastise and discipline their children, and they did it after their own pleasure, he does it, God does it for our profit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He does it for our profit. We give our children a spanking because we want them to grow up and be a productive member of society. The Lord whips us sometimes because he wants us to be a productive, fruitful member of the kingdom of God. And don't shy away from his correction when it comes. But I got a word for you, even if it feels like the hand of God is upon you so strongly to correct you, and it feels like you're about to be destroyed, I want you to, I want to show you something in the word. Isaiah chapter 42, beginning at verse 1, it says, these first few verses are talking, uh, God the Father is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold my servant whom I uphold. Mine elect in whom my soul delighteth, that's Jesus. I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. And I want you to look at verse 3 very carefully. It says, a bruised reed shall he not break. And the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. Now, what does all of that mean? The bruised reed, it spoke of, as it says, reeds that grew over all the marshes of the land of Israel. And, and if they were to be cut down, they were hollow on the inside. And they were used a lot of times to make musical instruments or certain tools that could be used in certain trades. 
But the thing about these reeds is that as the scripture says, they bruised easily. And it was much easier for the person who had cut down the reed and had begun to fashion it into something usable that sometimes the flesh of it would be bruised. And it would be easier for that person to just throw away the reed because it was bruised, it was no longer usable, and just to go cut down another one and start the process all over again. But the word of God says that he won't break the bruised reed. Even though mankind will take what is tarnished and what is bruised and what is broken and throw it away as if it's worth nothing, God does not throw away the bruised reed. Hallelujah. He won't throw you away just because you failed him and you've landed yourself, so to speak, in some hot water. And just because you feel his stern displeasure against the sin, he promised not to break you. Did you get that this morning? There's an old song that says over and over he molds me and he makes me into his image. He fashions the clay. Thank God that Jesus doesn't throw the clay away. It's easier to throw it away. It's less of a headache to throw it away and just start over. But I want you to understand that Jesus Christ is committed to you and to your life. He's not looking for the easy way to deal with you, the easy way to mature you. He has invested his blood into your soul. And you are immeasurably valuable to him. And he will take every second that it requires in order to mold you and make you into something that he can take glory in. Hallelujah. He'll mend you. Man may throw you away. The church may throw you away and say you've messed up one too many times. And you're no longer welcome in our fellowship. But if you're good enough for Jesus... I don't think you heard that this morning. If you're good enough for Jesus, Jesus didn't die on the cross just to stomp you under his feet and throw you away at the first mistake. Jesus died on the cross to place his spirit on the inside of your heart to change you, to mold you, to make you more like himself. He'll mend you. And if you're good enough for Jesus... You're good enough for me to call you my brother or my sister. Amen. There's never going to be a single one of us in this building that does not fail God. So ideally, there should never be a single one of us, myself included, that looks down our nose at a brother or sister because of a momentary failure. Let me tell you, honey, if the blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse it, if the blood of Jesus Christ can make it white as snow, I have no right, you have no right to hold it over their head. The very thing we need to be doing is putting our arms around their shoulder and coming to the altar with them and say, come on, my brother, come on, my sister, let's chase after Jesus. Neither one of us are perfect. We both failed. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And the journey's never going to be uneventful. Can I say what Brother Swaggart said? If somebody would come up to me and say that they're perfect, somebody remembers a story. And he said, that's great. 
Come up to me after service and I'll take your picture. And I'll blow it up and put it on the back of our platform. And underneath it, I'll put a little subtitle, The Biggest Liar on the Face of the Earth. Because there's none of us perfect. And me mentioning this in a message to you, the Holy Ghost giving this message to you is not to put you to shame, is not to beat you up, it's not to make you feel like you're less than the preacher. Because I mess up too, and when I do, I need the mercy and the grace of God to lift me above my failure. And that mercy and that grace, it is available to you this morning. Then he said, the smoking flax... The smoking flax, it referred to a type of candle whose wick floated in a pool of melted wax. And just like the bruised reed, it was much easier, much more convenient for the candle to be quenched and the fire to be put out when the wick became dirty. Because when the wick became dirty, then there wouldn't be a fire burning anymore. It would just be smoke, hence the term the smoking flax. It would be much easier to just put the candle out and throw it away and put a brand new wick in its place. But the Lord won't quench the fire of the candle. He'll clean up the wick so the flame will not only continue to burn, but it'll burn brighter than it did before. Did you get that? Can I say it again? The Lord won't quench the fire of the candle. He'll clean up the wick. So the flame will not only continue to burn, but burn brighter than it did before. See, the Lord loves you. And he's not brought you through this season, any of these circumstances that we've talked about this morning. He hasn't brought you to this point to destroy you. He chastens, I said it already, he chastens those whom he loves. And if you will trust him and submit to his process, just like Job did. He said, I don't understand what's going on. But one thing I do know, once I come forth out of this trial, once I come forth out of this circumstance, he's like, I'm going to come forth like gold. I'll come forth like gold stronger. That's what the Lord looks at his children as a part of his kingdom as. He looks at you as gold. Precious, valuable in his sight. But sometimes gold has to be put through the fire for the impurities to be removed. And you can have a purer substance. That's what it's for. Not to destroy, but to strengthen. No matter what circumstance you face or the cause of it, singers and musicians can make their way back up. The Lord is still in the miracle working business. Amen. The Lord is still in the miracle working business. He's still catch this one in the resurrection business. Because he said at the scent of water, this, this tree that has died, this tree that the stock of it has been buried in the ground and there's no life. He said, just at the scent of water. It will begin to spring forth again. It will begin to bear boughs and bear fruit like a plant. Hallelujah. He's still in the resurrection business. He's still 
in the business of taking what's dead and making it live. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's still in the business of taking a broken situation and turning it around and mending it for his glory. Hallelujah. So if you're in the house this morning and you feel broken and you feel bruised and you feel like the smoking flax where the the wick of your candle has become all sooted up and it's not burning the way that it used to, Jesus can restore the fire this morning. Jesus can make make something beautiful even out of a bruised and a broken reed. Because he's invested everything that he has in you. He's given heaven's best for you. He hasn't withheld any good thing from his children. Doesn't the word say that? So if you'll trust him. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth. And the stock thereof die in the ground. Yet through the scent of water. It will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant there will be fruit again and more fruit he said I am the vine and you are the branches he said any branch that doesn't bear fruit it's removed he's like or else it's purged the dead sticks and the dead thorns and the dead buds are pulled off so that it can bear more fruit you're his child this morning And I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're facing over Facebook or over YouTube. But God is able. If you'll just trust him, if you'll just believe him. I know I've said it a bunch of times this morning. But God is still in the resurrecting business. God will still take a broken situation and turn it around. For his glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Can you stand to your feet this morning? Hallelujah. you this morning we're going to open up these altars for just a moment and if you need to come and have some one-on-one time with the Lord you can do it in your seat if you want to but the altar is open for a step of faith that says Lord I know you can do it right here in my seat but I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to come to where you are and because I believe that you can do it But we're going to worship this morning. We're going to sing, I will pour water before we leave. And if that's you this morning, just begin to pour out your heart to the Lord, those that are watching. And the bruised reed, he won't break. The smoking flax, he will not quench. He'll bring forth judgment unto fruit. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's worship him this morning. Can we lift up our hands all over this place? Oh, hi.